millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to The Chat Returns, a mini-series of conversations about our relationships with the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I can't stop dreaming about them. So join us in our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Michael, it's lovely to be with you here in the Ghibliotech as we come to the end of our most ambitious, most populated miniseries yet, The Chat Returns. It's it's almost over and it, it has been an absolute pleasure. It really has. I absolutely love nerding out with our guests about Ghibli. Gives us the opportunity as well to pick the brains of the people behind films, comics, now video games that we love so much yeah i mean this whole podcast started out as me getting into something that i didn't know anything about now we're ending this series talking to someone who's all about a world that i'm only just getting into like not even just a film studio but an entire medium of entertainment and culture it's amazing and just an absolute pleasure to talk to siobhan reddy yes so siobhan reddy i mean jake I'll bring you up to speed. Siobhan Reddy is studio director of Media Molecule, one of the UK's great video game studios. Uh, they've been behind Little Big Planet, Tearaway, and most recently Dreams, which came out just over a year ago. It's one that I'd strongly recommend to you, Jake. But Siobhan's also such an inspiring figure within games. She was given the BAFTA Fellowship Award at the BAFTA Games ceremony earlier in the year for her pioneering work on advocacy, diversity, inclusion and creative and collaborative working culture. So one of the threads throughout the entire series of Ghibli Attack has been about how to run a studio, how to share ideas, how to collaborate, how to progress and develop talent, right? Maybe you know, Toshio Suzuki and Ghibli have had their various ways of doing that over the years. Uh, but just such a treat to speak with someone who has had a hand in such inspiring video games. Uh, listeners, I don't know if you've played Little Big Planets or Dreams, but they're both games that act as platforms for the imagination. They have game elements, but they also then have creative elements where within the game you can create your own 
levels, your own characters, assets, your own games, dreams as a platform, you know, people making short animations within that game. It's becoming a whole world of creativity in its own right. So what better person to talk us through the enduring influence of Studio Ghibli, possibly the most influential, inspirational animation studio there is. Before we go to that chat with Siobhan, I think as we've come to the end of this chat return series, we got a shout out producer, co-host Steph, because she has been fantastic through all of this series. It's been such a pleasure sharing conversations with her and with all of our guests. Uh, so Goro Miyazaki, Toshio Suzuki, Will Collins, Elizabeth Ito, Alex Dudok-DeWitt, Enrico Casarossa, Peter Lord, Mike Rianda, Emily van der Werf, Jessica Niebel and Raul Guzman, Arlo Parks and Erica Henderson and now Siobhan Reddy. It's been a mammoth journey, but it's been so much fun. And uh, it leads us from this extremely exciting series into the next big exciting Ghibliotech adventure which is Ghibliotech, the book, which is mere weeks away, or if you're listening to this after the 2nd of September, it's already out, but it, it's there. And we're going to be doing some live events too. Uh, we're actually going to be going to some cinemas around the country, talking to people in the flesh about Studio Ghibli. Uh, it's it's very exciting. It really is. And if uh, you want to hear us talk even more about maybe not Ghibli, but Ghibli-related things, you can do so by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, where we put out the Library Cafe episodes, where we talk about things we do when we're not talking about Studio Ghibli, but may still have some Ghibli relevance. So far, what have we talked about, Jake? We talked about video games. We talked about food. We talked about vinyl in the Olympics. <laughs> where will we go next? Yeah, this is the... Uh... The no-face buffet of conversation. Who knows uh, what we're going to be inhaling next. Make sure you head over to Apple if you fancy listening to that. But here she is, Siobhan Reddy. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Siobhan Reddy, thank you so much for joining us on the Ghibli Attack. We're so pleased and honoured to have you join us today. Well, thank you for having me. I've been so excited about doing this podcast. So, yeah, it's great. Thank you. So we love talking with people whose work we love about uh, the films we love made by Studio Ghibli. And we like asking this question at the, at the start of every interview. What was your first experience of Studio Ghibli? How did they first come on your radar? So I was thinking about this question and I saw Laputa probably first on a like very bad VHS sort of version. Yeah, so I saw that probably in about 99, I'd say. And actually, interestingly, the person I watched Laputa with not long after that was Alex from Media Molecule, Alex Evans, who was the sort of, you know, the the initial founder of MM. My boyfriend then and boyfriend now, Barry, showed, showed that to me. But I sort of have this feeling that I had very soon after that, we watched Grave of the Fireflies. And that was sort of the, one of the ones that kind of stuck with me. Seeing this sort of very imaginative movie for something like Laputa and then seeing Grave of the Fireflies and it being so sad and devastating and real was what made me fall in love with 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 them. Was sort of understanding that breadth is so hard to get right, but they did and it was so both such different movies, but so beautiful and did you kind of fall down the rabbit hole after that and were wanting to just like consume more ghiblis and what were what was the kind of journey that you went through or were you like us and we trying to make some i had my michael curating my selection or you just grabbing what you could find it's interesting because it's sort of like one of those things that once you discover ghibli you find out that there's all these people who discovered these movies a lot earlier than you and have great knowledge to share and so definitely Barry shared a bunch with me and our friends, uh, Lucy and Stuart, were sort of going through the movies at the same time. And uh, so we were we were sort of watching many of them together. And I think I was looking at a at a sort of ordering. I think that the um, after Laputa and Grave of the Fireflies, Totoro was then up there. And I remember we watched that with our friend's little boy who would have been about four at the time. And I remember it being one of those moments where it was like, oh, wow, this is like The Simpsons where you can be four or you can be 24, which I probably was at the time, like, and and actually get this, get something out of it. And he, I remember him watching the little girl, the littlest girl in the movie and just, you know, they were of very similar ages. And so I watched that and you're like, wow. And then it would have been probably Princess Mononoke and then A Spirited Away. And then going back to ones that I hadn't seen, um, so trying like over the years going back through the back catalogue, which were more difficult to get, and every single one of them just sort of almost being this like little mosaic piece in this big mosaic, evidently connected in some way, like either via the, the exploration of imagination or the exploration of folklore or an exploration of the earth or not always obvious how they were connected and then something would happen in the film and you'd be like oh wow that's all about this or it's all about that and yeah and it, you know just such a every single one being a delight and a, you know it's like one of those things where when you discover somebody or a, or a group who are so brilliant everything they make provide some little gem you're actually our second guest in a row who um, had a VHS of Laputa as their routine. Oh, really? Yeah, although th- th- that guest saw it with Chinese a Chinese dub over the top, so it's like a different context maybe. <laughs> but I'm always really fascinated by the context in which 
this first viewing happens because and people discovering Ghibli now, you know, all the films are on Netflix, so they're all available on Blu-ray. But when you're going back to the late 90s, early 2000s, they weren't so readily available. So when that film was put on and then those f- films came afterwards, what was the context in which they were presented to you? Was it just, were you watching films regularly at that point? And it was just, this is world cinema, international cinema animation? Oh, yeah. I mean, I um, love movies. So Barry and I would have probably just been starting to be together and so we were just showing each other our favorite movies and that was the context so it was a sort of just appreciation of film and appreciation of animation and yeah as someone who is in a, a visual art what what are you lifting from these films from from their style more so than their content of their story the thing that i love about them a thread between what is real and what is imaginary is very thin, you know, and I actually feel like that as a human being as well. <laughs> like, you know, like I feel like our inner worlds are very powerful and your dream world or imagination, they're these really powerful, real parts of our personalities or parts of our lives that on the surface don't always appear to be there. Like you've no idea what I'm imagining right this second. I've no idea what you are. Like we can't see each other's dreams, but you know, in some respects, it's a little bit like the same reason I love someone like David Lynch. They're completely different, but they have this exploration of inner space and an exploration of how we connect to the world around us uh, and the creatures around us that I think is really profound and awesome. And in terms of like being able to just, you know, some of the creatures or moments that happen I, I like that that thread is very thin, but I also like that it, there's a lot of meaning, you know, like there's not really anything in there that's not in any of the films, I don't think, that's just sort of totally frivolous. Like it's sort of, it might be on the screen, you know, for, there for just like a little second, but it's that it make you feel something. It might just be a little bit of light relief between something that was intense or whatever, but like when you see people able to do that, it's very inspiring to sort of showing that you can go there and you can, you know, and I think about our animators and our artists at Media Molecule, I love that they go there. You know, they, they really put out what's going on in their heads. We try to encourage them not to be too limited in terms of being over being overcautious because sometimes you have to, um, you know, allow something, an idea to develop and that requires getting it out of your head or onto a page and, what we end up putting in the game might not be completely the same, but like, I think there are creators out there who they manage to be mainstream instead of being very weird in a way that we all connect to as humans because we all know what our imaginations are like or something. I always find it very fascinating reading Miyazaki himself talking about the process of making Spirited Away, which became such a you know commercial behemoth, you know box office success in Japan. He, he would talk about it as if the ideas and the characters were just flowing out of his brain onto the page, which is such a pure artistic statement, really. It ties in with what you were saying. I love what, how you described the mosaic when you watched all these films uh, for, for the first time. Has it stayed like that? Do you like the whole body of work or are there one or two that you love more than others? I mean, some of them have sentimental value now. So they're, you know, they're movies that I watch because they have that, moment in time feeling but yeah I think so I mean I think 
there's something about those earlier movies that I watched that when I was when that mosaic was sort of being built in my mind, that's quite hard to replicate. Like when I watched The Wind Rises, I sort of felt that that was um, very interesting because it was back to that sort of realism again. But I remember watching that because I think for a period of time that I disconnected a little bit because I think just I was probably just watching a lot of murder programs or something like <laughs> for some reason. And then when I sort of reconnected back in with Wind Rises, I just thought it was this incredible story again reminded me a little bit obviously very different subject matter to grave of the fireflies but Mm -hmm. that sort of similar thing where some where it was exploring a devastation a different form of devastation i suppose i can absolutely see like because yeah the wind rises when you look at the rest of miyazaki's films it is his realist one in the past we've talked to animators at pixar and aardman it's a bit easier to draw the lines of influence and cultural DNA between animation studios. But how much in the world of video games and Media Molecule in particular, how much is that reference point of Ghibli uh, something that that comes up often? All the time. I mean, all the time. I I think that Ghibli is positioned in a very unique place as an animation studio because it's able to I mean a it's prolific there's so many so many films b I think that there's been that combination of like very mainstream successes and then local successes and then things which are just obviously love projects or passion projects and that's obviously a very inspiring thing because we all have there's a lot of ideas that people have and it's it's interesting to see you know them just be a prolific studio that that you know, certainly prolific in our standards. And so I think that's very interesting. But also I think it's very hard to thread together that level of, that sort of thing I was saying about the threads between real and imaginary and what is straight versus absurd or real versus folklore, all these sorts of things. It's very difficult to tell those stories and them not just be a bit, shallow or a bit cliche or something so not only is the um animation amazing and the art amazing and the imagery that we see in those films just outstanding I I think that the writing is really good a lot a lot of the time like you know and that's what matches it and yeah sometimes it's a little bit on the nose with being corny about you know how we could could be inspired or how we should feel or I'm I'm fine with that because (laughs) I think that you know, they a lot of the movies do have some messages in them, and sometimes it's just better just to say it rather than to not. Uh, so I don't know th- those sorts of things. I think that we all look at the. I mean, I certainly feel like we look at them and think, "Wow, they're a masterclass in how you can tell a very imaginative story." They're not straight stories all the time. So I think that that's very inspiring. I mean, the art is so inspiring all the time. Like, and the music. You know, I think this is the thing you'd find. If you ask different people at Media Molecule, you probably find that they have some different thing that they take from it. And, you know, I know that there are a bunch of molecules who just love the soundtracks and that's what they listen to all day, every day when they're working is, is the soundtracks. I couldn't say, speak for everybody in what place that uh, Ghibli holds in everybody's heart and imagination, but it's inspiring because mm. they, yeah, they're prolific, they're, 
straight, they're weird, they're funny, they're sad, they're, you know, and the holy grail for a lot of us as creators is being able to tell stories that resonate or to take people and experiences that resonate, but then in some way be personal. And that's the thing, you know, and it's like, it's really difficult. So, you know, it's wonderful when you see people do that well. I'm fascinated by this kind of approach to structure in their stories because Like you read like, I don't know, like Robert McKee's story and it tells you like all the story beats that you need to tell a rewarding or write a rewarding screenplay in Pixar with their 22 elements that need to be slotted in and all of these moments. And Ghibli managing to like just just riff spirited away uh, and make that kind of a more rewarding film than so many others that would have come before it that may have been tried to be kind of algorithmic about how their stories are told. And for me, for the the games that you are making, the fact that you're still you're you're kind of handing over the keys of how to play a game, how to tell a story to the players, but you're still thinking about it as a story for something for them to still be rewarded. Like, how are you approaching the idea of story in your games? Such a good question because the three of them have been quite different. So for LBP, I mean, that probably would have been. The closest to like we had House Moving Castle. That was House Moving Castle era, hmm. and we'd all seen that movie. And in fact, Alex and Mark and Dave, I think, had watched it together before MM was formed, and I'd seen it. And it was a, a point of reference because the good, the good thing about when a movie like that does well is it also shows people outside of your little bubble what is good and what could be good and so when things like Spirited Away and How's Moving Castle and Princess Monarchy were popular I think for us it was it really helpful for when we were having some of our discussions with Sony in those early days about the styles that we were choosing or the narratives that the characters that we had because we were when we were designing the story around LBP initially it was really there to be able to service the gameplay like we wanted there to be a narrative but we were sort of quite naive in terms of the design approach to what the narrative would be initially in that we wanted to make really fun novel platform levels that showed off the tools. But of course, we are very inspired by being able to build a world that's interesting to be in. And when you're creating a world, then you need characters. And when you have characters, they need to have something to say. And when they need something to say, then you need to know who they are and what their position in the world is. And that would have been around the time we started to come up with the idea of like, you know, with the negativatron and things like that, like that the games were all going to be about creativity and, you know, have this sort of thread of like you're adding creativity to the world and, of course, then your enemy is whatever is remo- trying to remove that from the world. And so that sort of thread continued through LBP and when I think back to like a lot of the characters, you know, like that was so long ago now, like Little Big Planet came out in 2008. So, you know, we very much made Little Big Planet up as we went along. It was a riffing. It was a continuously looking at it together. And with people like Kareem, who's the art director, really pushing on the, the richness of the world and the richness on the visuals. And Kareem has a lot to do with the fact that our artists have always been encouraged to push their imaginations and to for us to see their imprint on the screen at all times, for us to be able to kind of look at it and see the thumbprint of the artist that that designed that piece of work. And Mark has always sort of really pushed 
the idea of humour and, you know, not and, and sort of absurd humour and that's sort of his very happy place. And I think between us and people like Rex uh, Crowell, who was very much part of LBP and Francis, we all had a shared crossover of taste and a crossover of pushing on the fantasy and not being too restrained with that. And then with something like Tearaway, it was very different because it was, it is a story. Like it's mm-hmm. basically a story beginning to end. It's not about, it, there is creative gaming in it, but again, it's very much about the journey that you are on. And with that one, again, we were sort of making it up as we went along, a bit of a riff based on the themes of the world, the storytelling of the world. But it sort of had three major, three main parts. And it was like the, you know, the beginning section being very much based in sort of folklore and then the second section being very much around like sea shanties and sort of, you know, that sort of stories of the sea and gets a bit Cthulhu in some places. And then and then the last section being kind of beat poetry. And this did sort of come up based a bit on the, the visual themes, but also, you know, I loved when we sort of determined the last section would be sort of more beat poetry because it was just so, it were, it, it just was a natural fit to what we were doing. And so we sort of ended up exploring these sort of areas of interest that we that we had and they took the player through this quite interesting journey I think which again was a journey of discovery of creativity of you being the creator and you getting your message at the end and you know that interestingly like that's the game that we've had the most fan mail on of people having an experience that really moved them from the you know I guess it's the only one we made that was a game game in that sense but and then with dreams there's sort of two aspects to it like one would be the onboarding for you in the dreamiverse and the other would be art stream, which again is quite surreal and weird, but has a lot of meaning jam packed into it. And that process was one that was very iterative. They're, they sort of t- tend to be quite ground up experiences. But now we're looking at how we refine that because that that process can be quite long. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we found probably with some of the processes on dreams that we could have streamlined them a little bit with what we're doing with dreams now we're sort of changing our approach to narrative a little bit we won't lose the things that are good but I think we're just trying to probably take it a bit more seriously have more people on it you know actually have some full-time writers that sort of jazz rather than it being a bit sort of we have to find a way to modernize our approach and to just get a bit you know, just to level it up a little bit and uh, not lose the imagination side of things. It's so funny that you mentioned, I mean, this is way back when for Little Big Planet in the mid-2000s, that House Weaving Castle was very much in, in your brains because I think that the imps in Dreams, little fiery bits of imagination, look like Housefer, now you mention it, from that, the the, the flame, uh, you know, imp in that. Uh, it's it's so funny to draw all these comparisons, but that's a route into talking about characters because Sackboy was, a, a, you know, an almost instantly sort of iconic, you know, adopted as a mascot Sony-wide. Uh, when you're creating a character like that, you know, Miyazaki inadvertently created many across his career from Totoro onwards. Uh, what, what's what's the creative process behind creating a character that people can respond to and project onto? It's interesting because Sapoy, if you could sort of summarise that and just replicate it with every single game, it would be amazing. But it's Sapoy was a really special moment. It started off with um, 
Dave Smith, who's uh, one of our technical directors who focuses on the gameplay, he'd made a physics prototype. And the physics prototype basically has the the sort of the physics of what Sapboy would become. So it's this really tactile little demo. But it's basically just a 2D demo with this little yellow character that sort of just has little arms and swings along some stars and some moons and, and off it goes. And when it came to sort of really thinking about um, making, turning that into a console game, we were looking at a whole bunch of different things. And the Sapboy process was a uh, one of those iterative ones where kind of everybody had a go. We knew we wanted to create something that had an iconic silhouette. You know, we've also been very inspired by, um, by the likes of very, you know, classic Disney and things like Roadrunner and as well. Like where at that sort of stage we were looking at a bunch of different inspirations and wanting to create something that had an iconic silhouette, that had this real tactile relationship with the world and other characters so that there would be this ability to have like emergent silly anarchic fun with other people and the world around you and so there were a whole bunch of sketches you know sort of taking that um base model of sort of figuring out like well how would we create something that's a bit like a canvas that can be customized and it's interesting because you know what you see in in that those first sketches is you see the evolution you know sat boy with a sort of you know not the sort of uh, shape head that he has but one that's a bit more wonky or instead of being that the hessian that we ended up with being more like real sack like hessian so a bit rougher and a bit sort of it sort of looks a bit scarier and it just sort of went round and round and round and francis ended up sort of taking a lot of those ideas francis is the still at mm and he's the lead sort of been the head of animation for a while for a long time he um he took all of those and he sort of created uh, the second last version and the, with the last version being the pinching. So if you imagine a version of Sapboy without the pinched arms and the pinched legs, that was sort of the version we had. And then we went through a round of a, a test within Sony. And so like we were working with Sony by that stage, obviously. And so they did a bunch of tests to sort of come back to us with feedback. It was interesting because like we all liked Sapboy. And it was sort of this experience where everyone was showed the character to, they liked it. We just kept getting like, yep, yep, we like it. And there was some, at that stage, there was probably some more discussion around customization. It wasn't as common at that point. It's obviously incredibly common now, but on that stage it wasn't. We're having a character that's you and not a character. So um, that was one of the sort of questions that we talk around was like, is this a representation of me or is it, is it a character, Sapboy a character? Like, and obviously in the latest game by Sumo, they've taken it a bit more in that direction. But um, for us, it's always been that physical representation of you in the Little Big Planet universe. Even in the course of this conversation, uh, you know, we're getting the sense of the, um, you know, how there are so many creative voices within Media Molecule. And it's something that we've tried to break out with when talking about Studio Ghibli, because of course there are such figureheads behind that studio, Miyazaki, the, the you know, the totemic figure uh, behind every film. We've done even in this conversation, we talk about him and not necessarily the the animators, key animators, character designers behind the films as well. How important is it at Media Molecule that it is that sort of maybe egoless you know, structure, at least from from the outside in? I would not say it's egoless. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say collaborating is one of the things that we uh, has sort of been a, 
really important part of our creative process from those early days. You know, as we have grown in size, it does become a little bit more challenging to work in the same way that we worked on Little Big Planet 1 or 2 or or on Tearaway. And even Art's Dream was a small group of people within MM working on that. And so I think the sort of thing we're sort of trying to do now is crack that exact nut of like, how do we retain the ability to have a lot of very good creative collaboration going on where like where where a group of people can riff on a bunch of ideas together and from that form the final idea in my hopes and dreams it's not it's something that we can continue to to do because I think that it, it is a really core part of MM as we grow it's sort of bringing people on board who also want to operate in that way I've realized it takes quite a lot of courage from people to work in that way and to work in a way where you are very you feel free to suggest ideas that sometimes I think of them like sometimes you've got to get a thought out for it to be real to then someone else to hear it to then go ah I know what to do with that half formed thought I'm going to add my half to that and now we've got something and then someone else is like no that's still a half a thought what about my idea and I I love that part of the process I think that some of our most like our light bulb moments have come from us all challenging or riffing on a bunch of different ideas so that that to me is just really important it's an enjoyable part of the creative process the sort of trick is to sort of find ways to keep doing that as we grow in size and keep that moment spirit alive and a similar nut to crack which i don't think ghibli have ever cracked is a sense of fostering talent developing them giving them the opportunity to rise through the ranks and have you cracked that nut yet a medium molecule i know that it's you know dreams is all about bringing in the community and putting them you know on a convention floor virtually and giving them their space but have you cracked that nut about how to foster the future of games as well i don't know i don't think we've cracked it but we've got the um cracker on the nut (laughs) (laughs) the nutcracker and the nut are poised and there's probably an initial crack in it um i i mean that, that i love that like that to me is the most enjoyable thing about my career so far has been seeing how you can help pave ways for other people but I'm not the I'm not the creative force behind what we're doing. So it's different mm-hmm. for me. Like my career, my you know, when you're a producer or you're a studio director, a lot of what you're, I'm motivated by is by that exact thing. I think it's more difficult for people who, who who have to sort of find ways to like relinquish creative control or to. I think that they're two different, quite different nuts. And so I think we've got that, that for us, it's very much, that's the plan. That's what we're, that's what we're wanting to do is, you know, very much have a studio where people are all being able to really nerd out in their craft. You know, if there's one thing, you know, I I think if you're going to do this for a living, then you want to be able to totally nerd out in that and make sure that you're exploring every facet of it. And that's certainly something that we're very motivated as a studio to do. But I guess like, you know, there's always a a buck stop somewhere. And so we have a creative director, we have an art director, we have a studio director. As you start asking yourself those questions of like, do I have to leave in order to be able to (laughs) allow people to grow? Or how do we grow in a way that we all keep doing this together, but people reach that fulfillment? And that 
And that's, I think, where some of the trick for some of this is, is like, well, how do we achieve that? I want to see people go through, have the opportunities I've had in my career to be able to, you know, step into the unknown and really learn how to do things. And I I take a lot of pleasure in that. And so, yeah, I think that's the, I'm very motivated by that. And I, I, you know, things like Tearaway are a good example of looking at what that did for Rex in terms of, you know, he took that project on and he went, went off then to make nights and bikes and he's doing something super fabulous right now which he is but like you know I think that and then we have the community obviously so yeah I think as we move from being little media molecule to being more of a mid-sized studio there's tons more opportunities within the studio as we sort of expand those buck stopping points but I understand why it's hard because I think that you and I understand why it doesn't why yeah I understand why it's difficult because we're all on our living our own little epic and I think that people always want to feel useful and that they're contributing and so I think the trick is that as people hand over work or hand over responsibilities that they still understand why they're important you know when we've cracked that nut I will have I'll understand what that fully means for a range of disciplines. Shavu, one question that we've kind of been asking everyone that comes on the podcast, uh, I'll ask now, but we can get a different version of it as well, because as much as we are looking for what to cover next on the podcast for films, I can also ask about games as well. We've watched all of Ghibli's films now, and we've done a mini series about Satoshi Kon's films and Cartoon Saloon's films. So as a person that's only got into Ghibli recently and only very recently got into video games, for a Ghibli fan, what video games would you recommend as well? In terms of um, games, I mean, I'm assuming you've played Nino Kuni. We got it downloaded uh, to because we need to play it all to then do an episode on it, but it's just when we've got the spare 60 hours. You don't need to play for 60 hours. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I give you permission not to play the whole game, Uh, but you should definitely play that. That's amazing. It's amazing. And it is a Ghibli game. So like you just, so you should definitely, definitely play that. I mean, have you played Ori in the Blind Forest? Ah, so I've, I've been gifted that. So this is a good prompt to maybe jump further in. And then... Another series that I really like, but I am very biased because it's Barry's games, are the Room games. Um, yeah. Have you played those? Oh, you've not, Jake. You should, yeah. Yeah, the Room games are amazing. They've got a lot of uh, uh, atmosphere and um, they're just very pick up and play on, and you can play them on the iPad and the phone. I think Miyazaki would like that because he's fascinated by how things work. Like he famously wanted to know how Howl's Moving Castle would operate you know, mechanically. And that room is all about those sort of clockwork kind of little miniature structures you've got to, and then the rooms themselves that you've got to navigate around and puzzle your way through, Jake. You'd, you'd like that, I think. Oh, it sounds like, because like in Breath of the Wild, I loved um, the dungeons that were the almost like puzzle escape type ones. Yes, play the room games. Um, and yeah, Barry is also who introduced me to Ghibli. So it's a whole full circle. Great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Add it. right. I'll add it to the list. Perfect. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Uh, Siobhan, thank you so much for speaking with us. This has been an absolute treat. Oh, thank you so much. That was really fun. Thank you to Siobhan Reddy for talking with us today. Listeners, check out Dreams if you're a PS4 player. There's so much stuff to find on there. If you've listened to 
the Library Cafe episodes, I do mention that there are some slightly uh, uh, unofficial Ghibli related things on dreams if you wanted to go uh, diving into the depths there but the whole game and uh, community around it is so fascinating do check it out so great to hear Siobhan talk about workplace culture creativity and also another guest whose way into Ghibli was a VHS of Lapita Castle in the Sky what are the odds if you enjoyed that episode and you want to keep up with what we're doing here on the podcast you can always Follow us on Twitter, where we're at Ghibliotech. And if you've got any thoughts about any of the things that we've been talking about, you can email us as well. We're at ghibli at little.studios.com. Or if you want to keep up with us in reality, on that Twitter account, we'll be posting about some of the live events we'll be doing. And you can come and see us, pick up a copy of the book, say hello. It'd be lovely to see some of you. And uh, big, big news, because we're always up to speed in the latest movements in social networking. We are now on Instagram. We did it. Maybe in 10 years, we'll be on TikTok. Follow us on Instagram, where we are, ghibliotech.pod. And place your bets for how long it's going to take us to get on Bebo and MySpace. (laughs) (laughs) And once you've followed us on social media, as is the obligation for all podcasts, now's the point where we ask you to review us as well. Uh, Thankfully, we've left it till the end of the mini series to do so. But if you have enjoyed the chat returns or any of the Ghibliotech episodes that came before it, we'd absolutely love it if you hopped over to Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that allows you to review the show and give us a star rating and write a comment. Uh, It makes an enormous difference because a lot of the time so few people do it that if just a handful of you do, uh, it can get the word out of this show to lots more people as well. And if you want to get in our DMs or our replies, (laughs) personally, you can follow us on Twitter. Jake's over there at Jake H. Cunningham. And Michael's there at Michael J. Leader. Bibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe, our music is by Anthony Ying, and James Payne is our editor. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill, and Steph Watts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.